When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Unsuckable Podcast. I'm your host Manuel Fate, and we have an action-packed show this week. Uh, Monday morning is always lots of things happen, lots of things to recap from the weekend and there's a ton of stuff. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to the show and I'm really looking forward to all this panel that we have once again, um, Joshua, Joshua Deming joining me and um, not the best weekend you had, buddy. We're going to talk about the classic quite a bit, I think. So how are you doing today? Um, average, as I guess the fairest word to say. I uh, just had a good good vent session um, right before I came on here. So we'll, we'll see. We'll see how, how spicy I get throughout the episode. But I, I do always enjoy talking with you guys. So we'll... Uh, We'll hopefully focus on some other points too, so I don't just spend the, the episode crying a little bit. We're getting the toned down version, you're saying. It's good. You got you got to vent on the Axon Yellow Wall podcast with Stefan Buschko, who I've known for quite a long time. So that's great. If you want to hear that emotional Josh, go there, listen to that. Um, we'll get the toned down version, I think, today from you. But um, Adrian, how are you doing, buddy? I, I have I have some really interesting questions for you later today, so I'm really looking forward to get your input, buddy. How are you doing, Adrian? I'm doing great. I'm doing great, Manuel. It was a great weekend of football in some ways, I guess I should say. My team had a very tough time, so we'll we'll speak about that in a way, I guess, when we speak about Ruben Amarim later. But it was great for Pacific FC, which I assume we're also going to speak about, yes. and I can't wait to get into that with you. Yes, we, we have actually quite a lot of North American content on this show, obviously, because um, Pacific FC have overcome the odds, the travel and the media bias to win the Canadian championship or the Canadian Premier League title. I guess the championship is actually our cup, so a little confusing and all. But yeah, title holder Pacific FC, we'll, we'll have that later on the show and I can't wait to chat about it because there's a ton, ton to get into. But um, yeah, we have lots of other North America content and um, to help us with all of that is Filippo. Filippo Silva, how's it going, buddy? Doing good. Doing good, Manu. Uh, to me, it was very very neutral over the weekend for the games you mentioned. It was good to see Manchester United winning under Ralph Ragnick. I don't know if this is even a topic for today and I'm looking forward to some Champions League action during the weekend. And Josh, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry for what you had to go through again, but I mean, we all saw it coming. It was a little predictable, wasn't it? But in fairness, Dortmund were, I thought, were actually quite good um, throughout the 90 minutes. I thought it would be worse the way that they've been defending this season, which is something we should probably also talk about. But yet in Champions League, um, Filippo, there is still a few things open on the final match day. A lot of things are decided, which is usually the case of Champions League. But what are you looking forward to um, doing this week? I'm mostly looking forward to Group G. I think Group G is the most open one. All four teams can still qualify. So I'm definitely looking forward to Group G. Besides that, everything else, I'm just going to be kind of following through with it. Kind of going to see the the whole situation with Barcelona and Benfica, obviously. 
which that might interest Adrian a little more. But I'm looking into Group G also because there's a lot of Americans involved. So we got Lille in first, Salzburg in second, Sevilla in third, and Wolfsburg in fourth. And that's pretty much it for me. Uh, I don't think besides that there's much more to talk about in this sense for the Champions League from my end. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting group. And I mean, that's a group that's interesting for literally all of us because, of course, I cover German football quite closely. I cover Salzburg quite closely. And the news, of course, today is that Adeyemi is headed to Dortmund. Josh, so there is some good news. You must be feeling good about that, right? So I'm pretty sure you're keeping a close eye on the Salzburg game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that, that group is the group of life. It's the most exciting one. And, and it proved it to it to its full extent considering on the final day all four teams could potentially go through but yeah i mean as as recording um uh, producer t is uh texting me he's like get your get your butt on uh on youtube make a video adiemi wants to go to to dortmund and uh and that's fantastic i've been busy with a couple of interviews pretty much all day so i haven't even been able to fully get up on the story so i'll have to read into it a little bit maybe give mm-hmm. a little reaction but uh, i actually just said in an interview um earlier this morning that uh that i assumed Adiemi was going to to come to Dortmund and I was pretty confident about that. He's a fantastic young player, yeah. versatile, speedy, can play in the wings, play through the middle. Exactly what we're looking for fits Dortmund to perfection. So I'm really excited to see how he's going to get in. And I know that you've been following closely Manuel as well. And I, I think yeah. you've said some pretty good words about him. Yeah, yeah. End of the season deal. Um, exciting. Sakaria apparently is done as well for the end of the season. So for Dortmund, we're making some big news. Uh, moves. Love and life. Love and life. Yeah. A little bit. It's a little Josh. Bit better, are you worried about uh, the Emmys uh, finishing by any means? No, uh, I think he's proven that uh, with the amount of goals he has scored, that he knows how to put the ball in the back of the net. I think consistency will come in, in a spot like Dortmund. Uh, I think is why a lot of young players like to see Dortmund as a good step for them because they find a way to polish off their game. And we've seen how successful in the amount of goals he scored already. And remember, he's, just, he's very, very young, very, very raw. And I think going to Dortmund will give him an, the opportunity to to take his game to the next level, to get that sharpness, to get that composed and, and find his identity. Because I think this player, and Manuel will probably have, a, again, a better idea. I think this player can play in a few different positions. So I'm curious to see how Dortmund want to craft him around and, and what actual position he's going to end up playing for Dortmund. Because I think a lot of it will determine on Holland's future. Yeah, I think that's ex- that's exactly it. It depends on Holland's future, right? What's going to happen with him next. Um, they're, they're working very hard to keep him and... Um, they're making it quite clear through through sources that they this is not a not a Holland replacement if it happens uh, when it happens. Um, I guess at this point, don't wanna. It's not nothing is confirmed until you know you see the guy holding up the jersey at the press conference. Um, but yeah, I think um, it, it is by no means a Holland replacement. Um, it's a very different player uh, in so many ways. So yeah, I'm I'm not worried about his finishing either. Actually, I think you look at Salzburg, what he's done there um, in the Champions League as well. I think yes, he's not a finished product, but he's also only 18. <laughs> so uh, with time, he will become an amazing player. So. Yeah, I think that's probably the most interesting things about Group G. Um, Wolfsburg, of course, can still finish in the top two. They were also interested in Adeyemi. They're not getting him. Um, of course, Lille is a team that we are going to be watching because of Jonathan David um, and the, the process that he's made. Brandon Aronson is, of course, interesting for you, Filippo. But we also want to pay take a look at uh, Group E, where... Um, Barcelona and Benfica are still looking to qualify. And uh, Adrian, that's a really interesting group for you. And you're probably praying that Bayern Munich do what they usually do and just absolutely smash Barcelona. And uh, it looks like the news today is that Nagelsmann is not going to rotate. 
he wants to keep the side together that uh, played against Borussia Dortmund. Of course, Kimmich is still a huge question mark, but everyone else, it seems like um, it's going to be almost the same side, maybe with Musiala and Fortuliso, but that's about it. So you must be pretty hopeful that if Benfica get the job done, that they slip into second place and go through. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I was praying you know, you saw all those memes of Lewandowski at the Ballon d'Or just thinking about beating Barcelona 18-0 and <laughs> that they're going to be the victim and he's going to make them pay for it because he didn't get that Ballon d'Or. But yeah, I, I pray that that happens. I just hope that Benfica can do their job because that's not necessarily a guarantee with the kind of form that we've been in lately. I mean, losing 3-1 at home against Sporting is not exactly a good look and things have just been deteriorating under Georges Jesus. Rumors that he's going to go back to Flamengo, just constantly bouncing back between the two continents. So... I hope that we can get it done. Um, I'm, I'd like to think that we can beat Dinamo, Dinamo Kiev at home, sorry. But uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what to think of this one, Manu. I think that Barcelona are going into it with some poor form as well. I think they lost this weekend 1-0 against Real Betis. So there's rumors that Xavi's going to try out a 3-4-3, go back to what Koeman was doing. It's It really could go in any direction. I just hope that the consistent part here is that Bayern win. Yeah, uh, it's going to be behind closed doors, unfortunately, because of the COVID situation in Germany, or in particular, in this case, Bavaria, um, which handles things a little bit different. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, I'm going to keep an eye on it, but I think I'm going to probably close more, much more closely follow what's going on in Group G. Game has taken place at the same time, and I find uh, that groups are very fascinating. Um, other than that, I mean, what is going to be interesting to watch and I know we're still going to need to talk, talk about the Klassiker and we talked a little bit about Dortmund already, but guys, Leipzig, um, they have to essentially look to get a result against Man City in order to go through. Um, I hope, And then, you know, hopefully BSG does what they need to do against Club Bruges, of course, but um, to just to go into the Europa League, which at this stage right now, Jesse March gone now. Um, that club seems very much in damage control, looking for a new manager. Uh, Bayer Lotze is the one who is going to be the interim solution. Filippo, we talked a little bit before the show about this. For Jesse March, you know, my perspective is very much that um, I thought it could be a good jump for him to go to to from Salzburg to Leipzig. And then uh, ahead of the season, there was a lot of talk about on his camp, on his side, that he doesn't understand why they, why Germans always call about the word Druck, pressure, and the demands of the Bundesliga. It's probably pretty safe to say, Filippo, that he knows now. And is it maybe in retrospect that that jump was just a little bit too big for him? So in the short term, probably, right? Clearly it didn't work out. Jesse has a lot he has to work on. One of the things being tactical flexibility, it seems like he only has one way of playing. And when things don't go that way, he doesn't know or doesn't want to adjust. And as a coach, you have to be willing to be flexible with your tactics and and even formations and starting 11, whatever you can do about it. And he wasn't during his time. And we've seen glimpses of that on in Salzburg. If you remember, you follow Salzburg and Bayern. I believe last season, it was last season, he was tied 2-2 at halftime with Bayern. And he just doesn't change to the point to adjust and try to hold the draw. He continues to play the same style, the same press, 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 direct. And that game, for example, ended up being 6-2 to Bayern. So personally... I think that it might have been too big of a jump, but it's also a learning experience for him. 
So over the long term, it's probably something he had to go through. He's still a young manager, by the way. So I'm still hopeful for Jesse Marsh. He's done a good job in MLS. He's done a good job at Salzburg. This is just a little bump in the road. I think he'll bounce back and maybe he needs to take a step back right now. Maybe go to being back in the system of Ralph Ragnick, as we talked about prior in the show. But we'll see. I I think it was too big of a jump for the short term. But for the long term, I think he's going to learn a lot from this and be a positive experience. I think so, too. Um, I have actually no doubt that Jesse March is going to work out somewhere else. And there was a lot of talk in the summer, of course, that he was also um, a candidate at Eintracht, Eintracht Frankfurt. And maybe now in retrospect, that might have been a better better position for him. Um, you know, the shoes to fill in Leipzig were, were enormous with Julian Nagelsmann, of course, one of the best coaches in the world, period, full stop. And a lot of talk was made about all these players that Leipzig lost. In the end of the day, they only really lost one, Upamecano. Sabitzer uh, is a is a shadow of what he was, and it was a shadow of what he was already last season. Uh, Ibrahima Konate played about 25% of all available minutes at Leipzig, and um, they got a lot of money for him nonetheless. But you look at the players that came in, Andre Silva, uh, Ilas Moriba, Josko Guardiol, Mohamed Simakan, um, Brian Brabi, who's been an absolute disaster, Filippo. Like the fact that, you know, this is a player who highly praised from Ajax Amsterdam. They worked really hard to get him. And then you have situations where he's just not even integrated. And I think there is a lot of things that the club can rightfully criticize Jesse for, right? There, There's absolutely no way we can't put any blame on Jesse. I do think some things didn't play to his favor. I Absolutely losing a Pumacano. I think also Konate and even Sabitzer, right? Because apparently he lost the locker room at one point, Jesse Marsh. And, and that was a leadership figure, right? It was a player that was a leader in the group. Uh, along with that, the players they signed, they're super talented. There's no, and they're, some of them even tested and proved, but a lot of them are young. And I believe Danny Omo was injured for a good chunk of the season. That definitely plays a role as well. But yeah, there's there's no excuses to it. He definitely had more than enough talent and quality in the roster to be performing ahead of many teams that are ahead of Leipzig right now. Could we have had the same expectations with this team that with the one Nagelsmann had last season? In my opinion, no. But that was a team that finished second. So the minimum we would expect from Marsh is being their top five, being in the Champions League spot. And that would have been acceptable. And they probably wouldn't have fired him if he was there. But it, it seemed, seemed like things weren't improving throughout the season and they had to it's take action. Worse. Yeah, it was one they had point to take action. Two point average. Just the first time in Leipzig history that they're on a double-digit spot in the Bundesliga, you know, uh, outside of the top 10. First time in history. And um, yeah, you know, you can make that argument. But Sabitzer... Sabitzer was not necessarily a candidate to leave until he showed up, right? And there was a lot of lot of controversy between him and Marsh as well. Um, yeah, one thing yeah. to say about Leipzig too think- is uh, they joined the league. They joined the league in the 2016 season, right? 2016, 2017. And besides one season that they were six, they're always top three. So it was upsetting yeah. to see Jesse not be able. And this team is definitely better than the team that joined the league many years ago. And it's just um, there's a lot on Jesse. But I still think he's a good coach and he's going to learn from this. I just think that maybe it's what you said. The jump was too early. It's different yeah. pressure. It's a league that has the best coaches in the world, tactically, the preparation, everything. And maybe Jesse wasn't ready for that, right? He coached in MLS, 
which is one level. He went to RB Salzburg, which is a different situation. It's a, it's a club that just really, really dominates the country, right? Their levels above everyone. So I think Jesse will be fine. And five, ten years from now, because he's still a young coach, I think he can be in Bundesliga and be successful if that's something that he's interested in. I think, I actually fully agree with that. Um, I think that one of the problems too is that Nagelsmann almost evolved the Red Bull style of play. And with Marsh, they went, tried to go back to another style, trying to almost make a step back. And I think the players were just not willing to do that in a lot of ways. And you could tell that with the body language and the confusion at times that you saw. So sometimes it's just not a right fit. And that's just a reality as well. And I think um, then you have to make a change and they did. And I think Marsh a couple of times went to the club bosses and said, you know, I don't think this is going to work out. So it happens. It's not a biggie. Uh, it happens all the time in the sport and it doesn't mean that someone is a failure. I think that's the number one thing to keep in mind. Adrian, I'm really, I want to go to you real quick here. And there's lots of candidates. Roger Schmidt today said he's not going to do it. I know that he was is a natural candidate, but for many reasons, not necessarily the candidate because um, like Marsh, he would have also pulled the team back to this traditional, more traditional style of Red Bull football, the, the constant press, right? Um, not necessarily an evolution um, of what they currently play. But one name that keeps coming up is Amorim from Sporting. And... This is still, of course, early rumors. There's going to be lots of speculations. Tedesco, Terzic, all these guys are still out there, right? And lots of other names are probably going to come up. Lucien Favre was rumored as well today, uh, crazily enough. But can you tell us a little bit about Amorim while I have you here? Yeah, of course. So Ruben Amorim, manager of Sporting in Portugal. And I mean, the guy, I think we spoke about him a little bit last week, but the guy's rise has been incredible. He hasn't really had any fall off yet. He's yet to even plateau really, but his, I mean, he's been fit, grabbing trophies all along the way, which is quite remarkable. I mean, just two months after he first started managing at Braga, prior to going to sporting, that is, he managed to win the Portuguese cup for Braga and beat Porto. Two months later, Sporting pay his release clause, which was 10 million euro, made him the third most expensive manager at the time. Um, and even at Sporting, it's just been a continuous, continuous upward trajectory. And that team wasn't in a great situation either when he took it over. So, you know, I do worry a little bit about him if he is to go to a new country with a team that's not necessarily thriving at the moment. Um <sighs> But we'll see. We'll see, you know, because he won the league for Sporting this for the first time in almost two decades. He wins cups for them. You know, he gets them into the Champions League knockout round for the first time in over a decade. He just beat his former manager, as I was speaking about, in Georges Jesus 3-1 in his own home. So he's been amazing. He, It's just, I don't know. There's something about it that just, I, I think I have PTSD from Benfica stars leaving too early from their clubs and uh, <laughs> going out amongst Europe and failing. So I just feel like, with Ruben Amarim, it just, it does feel a little bit early. And what if these results don't go in his direction? How will he react to being in maybe not a crisis, but a rough patch of form? Because he hasn't really faced that yet with sporting where it's comfortable for him. Yeah, and I'm also curious, like, what kind of style of play does he play? Like, 
formation wise his possession yeah. counter press like what, what can you expect if you do get him yeah well it's it's very much a high tempo kind of game where he plays a uh, a 3-4-3 so it it would be something that would be sort of reminiscent or at least familiar to the players at RB Leipzig of course uh because he plays that three at the back um and yeah it's it's definitely like a high pressing game they like to dominate the play and uh dominate the ball as well they, he's he's been helped along by great attackers like um Pedro Gonçalves, who's become very popular and linked with a ton of teams over the last year or so. Everyone was calling him sort of the next Bruno Fernandes. But I think that it would be it would be familiar to the players if Ruben Amarim was to go there in that uh, in their time that they spent with Nagelsmann. And so that is probably why we're seeing Amarim linked with RB Leipzig a little bit, because that system is is quite similar. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Really fascinating name. And uh, someone who was, was quite closely covering the Bundesliga and I, I spoke about it in great length about, you know, um, the Bundesliga's shortcomings of appointing um, foreign managers on the game pressing podcast with Stefan uh, Bienkowski. So um, there's a huge segment on that. So dive in and listen to that if, if you, after we finish this, of course. Um, but yeah, it, I think Paul yeah, Amorim would be such an interesting name, uh, fascinating name and yeah, let's see what happens with this. Um, Josh, are you ready? You okay? What are you doing there, buddy? Are, are you? Are we going to get the toned down Josh version now for the the classica? Um, you know, I, I'm really curious to get all your takes, uh, your input. We spoke a little bit after the game um, about the refereeing decisions and th- that the refereeing decisions on paper are less controversial than many make it out. I think that the, the real outcry is really on who the referee was, right? And his background and his history with being involved in the Heutzer scandal in 2005 and uh, the betting scandal and haven't taken money for betting, uh, for, for, you know, changing the results of a game in the past and having actually served a suspension for it. Um, those, that's the sort of background on this. Um, so I'm curious, how are you doing today? Because <laughs> I know you were very emotional yesterday. How are you feeling, buddy? I don't know. I don't know exactly how I'm feeling. I feel I feel disappointed. I feel hard done by, but at the same time, I I feel like we also did it to ourselves. So it's it's almost like you have to look in the mirror. There's so if you're a neutral to this match, you got your money's worth because a on paper it was a it was a fun game. It was a really good game. There's opportunities left, right, and centers. Both defense looked relatively open, like they were going to create chances. It was a high scoring match. It was drama. Uh, and then it kind of seemed like there was a few major decisions in the game, which in my eyes weren't, whether it was a right or wrong call is a different argument, but they weren't done properly. And it, because of the game management, it led to a lot of anger, a lot of frustration. It led to some pretty ugly scenes on and off the pitch, players coming out and bringing up, obviously, the referee's past. And there's just so much to digest. Um and I'm, I'm also curious to get your thoughts on it, Manuel. But what I, oh, I said this before the game, and I, and I truly stand by it. Bayern runs this league, and it's it's um, as a Dortmund fan, it's unfortunate. But to be able to beat them and show that you're a title contender, you need to at least win your home match against them. This was the opportunity, and in my opinion, I think Dortmund deserved to win. But the number one reason, also in my opinion, why we did not win was because of individual mistakes. And to have someone like Matt Summers, who who's one of my all time favorite defenders. He's so technically gifted with the ball at his feet. It's what makes him who he is. I'm, I know you can burn him with pace nowadays, and and he's got some defensive troubles as well. But when the ball's on Matt's Hummel's feet is when he's at his best. 
And when he's giving away an, an opportunity like that from nothing because he was just a little too lackadaisy on, on the ball and you gift Bayern goals like this and then you get yourself in an awkward position to give away a penalty, you're the experience. You're you're someone who should have who, who you, we expect a little bit more of. And in my opinion, we lost the game specifically because of individual mistakes is the reason Bayern took advantage of it. And there was also some ugly scenes with the referee, which are very controversial. So you can get my biased opinion on it, but there's a lot to digest. And the German FA just got a huge flashlight on a situation they definitely didn't want to get brought up. I think that last point is really um, worth emphasizing that the Bellingham comments right after the game in particular. Um, I, you know, he's under investigation for saying that Heutzer took money in 2005 uh, or you know, and that that's a factual statement. That's true. He didn't by, by no means suggest that. Uh, sorry, Zweier, not Heutz. Zweier um, took money, but by no means did Bellingham suggest that this game was uh, fixed. And I don't think it was. Uh, there's just no evidence for it. But uh, it is kind of remarkable how Zweier, and as terrible of a referee he's been over the years, or as inconsistent he has been, um, still falls up the ladder and is now a FIFA referee. And that's, I find that remarkable right. in itself. Filippo, you want, you want to jump in, right? Yeah. So I, I heard, I was looking into that story a little bit because I didn't know about it until Jude's comments came out, which by the way, I agree with you. I don't think he, he necessarily accused of this game being fixed. He just kind of reminded of what this ref has done. Kind of to take the It's a the factual credibility. statement. Exactly. It's a factual exactly. statement, right? So th- just one thing I wanted to say. So in the past, this ref actually did receive money to rig a match, right? This happened. Yeah, it happened and he yeah. set the suspension for it. So so this is one thing, just, just my opinion on it. I think if a ref receives money to rig a match, I wouldn't suspend him. I think he shouldn't be a ref anymore. Just just yeah. my take on it. Just my take. I agree with that 100%. Like there should be someone with a past like that and who has been an inconsistent referee ever since should be nowhere near the game, let alone a big match like this one or big FIFA games because he's a FIFA referee, Filippo. Yeah, that's a pretty, I mean, FIFA and corruption walk together. So that doesn't drive me. That's not too crazy. But the the, the thing is, like, if the guy received money at one point, what's stopping him from doing again a stupid suspension that means that if they offer more money the odds of him accepting it it's it's something reasonable right i'm not saying he would um hopefully he doesn't and hopefully he hasn't but just if i'm running a federation and there's a referee that has received money and rigged the match i'm taking his credentials he's not refereeing ghost referee the summer league whatever you want but not in the professional level it's just unacceptable so again uh it's kind of crazy that they're trying to turn Jude Bellingham into the villain of this for just stating something factual. It's it's just to me, it's just a little bit of nonsense. Yeah, it 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 is. And uh, like there's, like I said, there's so many different storylines behind it because a lot of people, and I don't like to be a reactionary person. I I am a, a fan of of Dortmund, but I mean, a lot of what I do, I try to be as as biased as I can. That's I think that's what makes for for better content. Not me going after and being like, oh, it's the ref's fault because I don't want to put fully like I think he had a t- I think he had an iffy game and I think the VAR has some responsibilities to do as well because there was the big debate around the Marco Royce penalty which in my eyes and I think in a lot of people's eyes it was indeed a penalty and and after the ref came out and said I didn't see it that way and that's where Aaron Holland touched on the arrogance that 
this is what he referred to. He said it wasn't a penalty. In no way, shape, or form did he mention that there was the offside beforehand. He was just arrogant and he was comfortable with the decision that he made, which it was a penalty. There was a shove on Royce. It was hands down a penalty. And without doing that, you start creating temper and you're not able to handle the match properly because you are too arrogant or too poor of an officiation or the VAR has something to do with it as well to not go and make a statement being like, hey, it was or was not a pen or it was or was not a pen plus there was an offside. There was a bunch of scenarios to do that instead of just creating temper and then to make the the match, which it's not like you're just doing a, a match that's not like not, I'm not going to say make or break, but this is such an important game because these are two teams that are going for the title. It's a 2-2 match at this point, one one point between the two, and you let a handball go against Davies earlier on the match without without Novar. You let this one go without getting a check. You're not These players on the pitch don't know it, which just means temper continually develops and, and comes more, and then eventually you give the penalty to Lewandowski to, to put it away when there wasn't even any really shouts from Bayern players that that the referee goes in. So with all that being said, now the players feel ripped off. And now this is when the comments start coming into effect. I'm assuming with the anger of all the Dortmund fans and, and players and of course management, when they went in that locker room, the, the his name was being run through the ringer and, and bringing up the scandal of 2005, which indeed happened And the German FA covered it up. So Bellingham being young 18, and I think he, he composes himself very nicely, then went and, and talked about it. And like you guys mentioned, in no way insinuated that this match was fixed, but said basically taking a shot at, at the ref. And that's the last thing the German FA wants because the German FA are the ones who are covering it up. So in my opinion, I think Jude's going to get a, a hefty fine because this is something the German FA absolutely do not want to be brought up. They brought up an ugly past. And I think to be able to show other players around the league being like, hey, you can't talk like this. I'm a little bit nervous to see what kind of suspension that Jude's going to get because I'd expect a hefty fine and probably one or two match suspension. I think it's just going to be a fine before you jump on Filippo, but I think yeah. it's just going to be a fine. I, I hope so. I, I hope so. I mean, and I, and I get that and I'm, I'm fine with that. I, Jude, let's do a GoFundMe. Let's, well, it, it has to be a fine. Like, it has to be. That's just the standard for criticizing a referee, but I don't think it's okay. going to be more so, than that. So pretty much his, his, if they suspend him, that means his punishment for saying facts is pretty much the same punishment for the ref that accepted the money, a suspension. It's ridiculous. So yeah, hopefully they do the right thing. I, I wouldn't even find him, to be honest. I think I wouldn't even do that. But it is what it is. Yeah, you, kind, you kind of have to, right? I mean, I'm pretty sure Dortmund are happily willing to pay the fine for him. Um, well, that ref shouldn't have been there. Well, no, yeah, I, that there's no debate about that. <laughs> you know, Zweier shouldn't be in this game, period. Yeah. yeah, and it was interesting because, like, again, I don't want to come out and be like, hey, the Dortmund fans blaming the ref because, again, I'm, I'm putting a lot of a lot of the, the, the reason that we lost on the players. But this is, this, everyone deserves the right. This is public knowledge. You're allowed to know this. Yeah. And I asked on Twitter, how many people actually knew of, of this ref's past? And no one really did until Jude spoke out. So I think that's what alarmed a lot of different people. And, and all this, in my opinion, could have been avoided with better game management. If you use VAR to the way it was supposed to be used. And again, I'm not saying this would decide the game, but it would keep tempers controlled because it's, if not, if thinking you got ripped off throughout the entire match builds tempers, if you went to VAR for both the Davies and the Royce um, incidents, you would have calmed the players down because they know because of VAR that it wasn't a pen. So there's nothing you can cry about it. But when the when the ref uses arrogance and, and doesn't use that or, or the VAR doesn't want to intervene, you just create a situation that could have been avoided. And, and I just, it turned into a big mess. I have the final point maybe on this. Um, 
before we move on to the next topic, Zweier also was involved in a very controversial decision in the in the DFB Pokal final final between Eintracht Frankfurt and Bayern Munich. I was at that game where he refused to go to VAR um, after a clear handball by a Frankfurt player just before Frankfurt made it 3-1 and to win the cup, right? This was in 2018. Um, so Zweier is, is someone who does this, arrogantly waves away the usage of VAR and it is often very controversial. Um, and that's just, you know, it, it follows him around. So I don't think he is someone who takes money and bribes. I just think he's not a good referee. And that's my final take on this. And I personally, my final take on this is also, I think Dortmund lost this because they made three and a half, they made three and a half mistakes in defense. And uh, we're lucky that it was not more goals that led to, because of the individual mistakes that they made. And Mats Hummels had an absolute nightmare of a game. But I think that the fact that we are like talking about Zweier now and like Filippo will never really watches the Bundesliga is fully aware of this. Is that need, is that, I think that tells you everything that you need to know about what happened there. And I think that's that's maybe a good lesson for the DFB, the DFL, everyone involved, that you need to take a long, good, hard look in the mirror and maybe make some changes there. Um, yeah. Football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game. But with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code TBPN. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Anyways, guys, we need to move on because I'm going to go straight back to you, Filippo. Uh, no final in a baseball stadium. That's good news. Um, That's a great news right there. That's great news. Although I would say, technically speaking, it's still in a baseball stadium. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a soccer stadium, though. <laughs> And it's a gorgeous stadium. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, Portland Stadium. I, I, I was actually at a game. My first time I went to a game, it was. It still very much looked like a baseball stadium. And they have refurbished it completely since, right? And it's just a gorgeous facility. I think the league struck gold with the final being there and having New York involved as a market, right, Filippo? Absolutely. They They definitely were happy about New York being there. The circumstances that got New York to the final... Most certainly involved luck, especially in the last game, right? Playing Philadelphia Union without many of their key players. Bedoya wasn't playing. Uh, Andre Blake was out. <laughs> Sorry. So essentially, it led to that. And New York is here. And honestly, they're looking pretty good for the final right now. Tati Castellanos will be back. Got some rest. Uh, they're, they're, they'll be missing, I believe, Keaton Parks, if I'm mistaken. He had a blood clot earlier in the season, unfortunately. James Sands, that we thought he was injured and out, he played. And he's back. Alfredo Morales has looked good. Maxi Morales has looked good. 
So it'll be a good final. I, I would like to hear some updates on Portland if anyone has. I do know they're missing a few players. More specifically, obviously, Eric Williamson is out, uh, has been out all season. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, it's one match. It's going to be an exciting game next Saturday for sure. Uh, Blanco is still a big maybe, right? Um, but I thought that Portland were really good in against RSL. They they definitely shut down that that fairy tale quickly, didn't they, Josh? Um, it was like it went from RSL fairy tale, and Portland was like, "Nope, your old road ends here." Yeah, I was I was definitely someone who was thinking and 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 low key hoping because I did think it was one of those cool playoff fairy tales that that we saw with RSL, just especially with the drama of decision day. Uh, but in my opinion, you saw experience come in. Um, Port- the Portland team has has been a, a regular, and I think when I I think of some of the best uh, MLS playoff sides, I mean, we know Seattle comes up there, but I mean, Portland's someone who always competes, and and in my opinion, they just they just got it right. Uh, a lot of a lot of Twitter was coming after um, <laughs> coming after Ochoa just because of some of the remarks he had, and then obviously Sorry. unfortunate own goal. Sorry he about that. In. But. Yeah, it's your fault, Filippo. Uh, Adrian, <laughs> I, I know you watched uh, the, the New York City FC game and um, Castellanos coming back is a big one. Um, Thiago Males, you know, super t- was once one of the biggest talents in Brazilian football, um, made this move to to MLS. Um, he was injured a lot, right? He was injured yeah, a lot. Yeah, lots of injuries. But Adrian, what do you make of the the final in New York City's uh, expectations for that? Because could we finally see the MLS Cup going to New York? I mean, it would be interesting. And I th- I think this New York team, you know, just watching two things that we talked about about the playoffs is how teams that have come in late into the playoffs, often you see them go on a good run and also teams that... Um, have to rest, end up getting knocked out, like we saw with New England as well. And I think that this New York team just has so much momentum at this moment. Um, and I think that Ronnie did a great job in this last match in particular, by the way. You know, like all three of the substitutions that he made in that second half played a big role in their improvements in that second half and ultimately winning the game. So I think that they're coming into this looking quite good. I like watching, of the teams that I've seen in this playoffs, I like watching their attack the most. Um But yeah, lucky number seven this season, their seventh season. Didn't they go on a seven-match run to get into the playoffs as well? So it just seems like they're sort of cosmically aligned to go and maybe win this cup in Portland. Not just not just that, too. New York, both teams that they... Well, I mean, Philly was better than New York, but technically they weren't because they were missing so many guys. They were the underdogs for their games, right? Um I mean, Atlanta, I guess we could just say it was balanced, but they defeated technically the best team in the league, which New England was the best team in the league all season long. They're in definitely good momentum. And, and we saw yesterday, was it yesterday now? Yeah, it was yesterday, the game. Uh, how much they missed Tati Castellanos up top throughout the match, right? His holdup game, the distribution he provides up top, the goal scoring ability and everything, and the guy's back, Right. Uh, do we want to try predictions here, Manuel? What do you think? Want everyone give their picks for the final next Saturday? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go with Portland. Uh, 2-1 after extra time. Okay, I'm going to go, and then we'll let Adrian go after, and then Josh. So I'm going to go 2-2. The match will be 2-2, and New York wins on penalty shootouts. Um, I'm also going with New York just because... You know, like Philippo said, they've been on such a good run playing away and getting these wins against 
decent, decent team. So I think that they're just, they're going to go into Portland, hostile atmosphere, and I think they're going to pull it off 2-1 with another winner late, late, late. Let's say uh, 89th minute. I'll be very specific. Jeez. I don't know if I can get that specific. But um, I again, when I when I talked about playoff teams, uh, I mean, I, I kind of want New York to win, but I think it's going to be Portland being home, having the experience, even having some troubles with personnel coming in and, and being fully at strength against RSL. I thought it was a very composed finish. Uh, and, and match for them. So I, I see them getting the job done in a similar fashion to the RSL game. So I'll say 2 nothing Portland. Oh, 2 Portland, 2 NYCFC. You know, that's a balanced pot. Unbiased. <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I, I just want to say one thing here, though, Manuel, before you move on, is I know we have a lot of European viewers, and I know sometimes some countries because i have a lot of friends from brazil we might be reluctant to watch mls and and a lot of the times the argument is fair but i highly want to recommend everyone that's not from the u.s not from canada and mexico because i guess mexico does follow mls mm. a lot more than the world they just the playoffs are, they just don't admit <laughs> it yeah go watch the final trust me you're not going to regret it it's a one match final knockout round there are quality players in the field you will enjoy it you will yeah. and as the bad north american of this podcast, as I always call myself, I absolutely co-sign that statement. I've been paying attention to these MLS playoffs for the most part. And I can't think of, I can't really, like you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't really think of a dud game. Like there's always a, some sort of wild storyline or at yeah. least exciting play in every single game so far. Yeah, it's been good. These playoffs have been entertaining and they usually are. Um, it's every year. It produces very good storylines and, I agree. Watch it. Um, it's a 12 o'clock. And so it's actually for a pretty 12 o'clock PST. Um, so it's three o'clock Eastern, right? Um, yes. Which is actually a pretty good time zone for Europeans as well. That's nine o'clock in Central Europe, um, 9 yeah. p.m. So so that's good. Like, I, I personally, if you're listening in, if you're tuning in from, I think you, you're going to be in for a treat. It's, it's a great game every year. It's great atmosphere. Portland my opinion, the best stadium atmosphere in North America. Um, it can rival a lot of European stadiums. It's it's gorgeous. The fact that they have a guy cutting off a piece of lumber every time someone scores, a tradition that goes back to the 70s. So this is not a new thing. It's not something they invented. This is a real tradition, you know, uh, over 50 years Manuel, old. You're going to get bashed by Mexicans. You're North. Oh, North America. Okay. You're not including Mexico. My bad. My yeah. Bad. I can't think of a single Mexican stadium that has a cool tradition like that. So that's just me talking here. But um, yeah. hopefully they don't come fun. after you. They, they, they can, whatever. I don't care. Um, guys, because we're so unbiased and uh, gave equal audience to both those teams uh, in the final, we're going to be going full-on Canadian now, and we're going to only pay attention to one team that actually won the final in the Canadian Premier League, and that's Pacific FC. There was also another team in that final, but because, um, and there's actually a Twitter thread on that that I just retweeted, um, because they got the vast majority of the attention by the Canadian Premier League Twitter account, the Harites Holder Twitter account, and uh, most of the media in this country, we're going to pay single attention to the team that actually lost the final and just talk about Pacific FC. And Adrian, hey, guy, Vancouver Island, represent, man. We have a national title holder on this island. I know. It's crazy. I, and especially, especially seeing what the team was in that first season and seeing how far they've come has just been insane. Now in their third season, I erroneously called it 
Paz second or first season on Twitter, completely forgetting about the Island games. That's my bad. That just completely fell out of my memory, like the rest of 2020. But my goodness, Vancouver Island FC, they, I mean, Pacific FC, <laughs> interchangeable at this point, but yeah. they went to, they went to Hamilton and they just had to hunker down and just showed that resilience that they've shown all season. Like when they went through that, that little bit of an injury crisis, you know, they had suspensions laid on because through the vast majority of the season, they were the team. And then it was just that last little bit where they started to stumble going into the playoffs and you got a little bit worried for them, but they go away to Calgary, they get the job done, they go to Hamilton when everyone is only talking about Hamilton, or sorry, Manuel, I know we weren't going to mention them this time, but uh, but they go to <laughs> insert blank stadium and they get it done there as well, playing absolute bunker ball at times, but much more convincing in that second half at least. And yeah, it's just, it's amazing to see a team from that western part of Canada actually winning and really doing well manual it's great to see yeah i think i think i i was just so amazed that they actually got all the way because the travel is hard and everyone talked about the travel for the ontario based team and playing the concacaf league and i'm actually really happy that they qualified for the concacaf champions league and it, that's such a great achievement the fact that we have two canadian teams in the concacaf champions league next year good for them fantastic and they had a difficult season as well but traveling from vancouver island to the rest of this country is hard there's no other team in this province they have to go to the province over to the closest rival for every away game it's difficult you know they essentially did what forge had to do that's just a normal schedule for them um and you know josh we talked that there was so much talk during the games like oh oh, oh, they had to play midweek you know like Forge had to play midweek and therefore it's difficult. It's one of the reasons why they lost. But we learned in the MLS playoffs that actually having time off is bad for you. And you saw it in the first half. Pacific FC were all played because they seemed rusty. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a weird debate. I mean, it's just the way that the season goes that they had a, a CONCACAF match midweek like that. And with obviously one eye ahead. Um, but you can you make the argument that they're used to it. They played a lot of games. They've done it before. Uh, I don't think anyone in that dressing room for both sides isn't going to be up for this match. So it's, you can play devil's advocate for either side, but I just, I mean, I want to give huge credit to Pacific because I mean, I, I've watched a lot of Forge games. I've watched a lot of Pacific games They're the two teams I've watched by far most this season. Cause I, I really enjoy how they both play. And I think they both have had really special seasons. And I think as a, just a fan of Canadian soccer, you should be proud of that. I mean, what Forge did was, was incredible and they'll be in the CONCACAF champions league and had a good good season as well. And then Pacific just were so much fun to watch. Some individual performances, some individual players. So I think like Lucas McNaughton and and Campbell and, and Bustos, Diaz all had spectacular seasons. And because they won, now they're in the CONCACAF uh, Nation League as well. So, I mean, it's it's pretty cool to see. And, and it's great now to see that there's someone else has lifted the the shield. So, I mean, and, and also the biggest part for me, which impressed me the most, is, is going to Calgary, winning away in the semifinals, and then going to Hamilton. That, I think, above all else, just speaks volume to what this team was, was built on and made of. And they definitely celebrated like a, like it meant something, and it was really cool to see. I spoke to some of the players last night. Um, yeah, it seemed like a wild party. There's going to be a lot of hangovers and... <laughs> today from, messages, from the messages that i received on my phone they weren't always coherent so <laughs> um but yeah no it's it's a great thing and it's also the thing too what we have to remember pacific have never beaten forge fc throughout the entire history i mean i know the league is only three years old but this was the first time that pacific beat them 
Um, so I guess it's the right time to do it, but it's really difficult to go on the road here. Um, yeah, like it is in MLS, of course, as well. Like the distances are just so enormous. It's a five hour flight from, from Victoria. If you get a direct flight all the way to Toronto, then you have to, of course, travel to Hamilton as well. Right. And I think that's something that you have to, you can't underestimate that the travel is hard and like being off. Uh, I spoke to a few of the players before the final and they said like, it's really difficult to stay sharp. Right. And I think they needed the first 45 minutes because Forge were really clearly the better team in the first 45 minutes without a doubt. And then the second half, it was very balanced. I thought, um, without a doubt though, Adrian, I think those were the two best teams in the league. And while the final wasn't always entertaining, it was definitely pretty even. Yes, that's, that's for sure. It was definitely even, you know, if you look at the two halves and sort of split them up, yes, absolutely. Hamilton won that first half, but the second half Pacific were just so, so much better. And, and I really want to make sure that people understand, like it's five hours of flying from Victoria to Hamilton definitely doesn't help. Like granted Hamilton were traveling as well. Of course we, we acknowledge that as well, but to be off for two weeks and then to fly out, it's just, it was absolutely, there were things that were against Pacific, but they were never really highlighted. It was always the the trials and tribulations that the other team had to go through. So it was nice to see them conquer that. And especially as you said, the first time they've ever beaten Hamilton, which it just goes to prove our point that we're constantly yammering on about here of why playoffs are so fun and why one-off matches are like the ultimate entertainment when it comes to football because you get these narratives like this so much drama love it yeah um congrats pacific fc we're gonna uh, try to actually get some of the guys on at some point on the show because um you know we have the access to it and it'd be i think be great to some of them the stories are fantastic i did an interview with lucas mcnaughton who has such a fascinating story to get to professional football in the first place. And I personally think is a defender who could easily play in MLS. And I know he has the offers to play in MLS and I hope it works out for him because he's ready to make the next step. There's a few guys on both teams, I think, who are ready to make the next step to MLS. And yeah, Canadian football is in a good place, guys. Um, the final showed it. And now we have a second winner of the Canadian Premier League, two times Forge, once Pacific FC. And it's, this game only has places to go and it's fantastic. And I think the only thing that we want going forward is that every all the eight teams playing in this league get equal coverage uh, ahead of the playoffs, during the league season, during the campaign. And maybe if the rights holders and the league and everyone who writes about this game can look at themselves and just think and give this game a platform so that it can grow equally across the country. I think that'd be a good thing. But guys, that's it. We're out of time. I know um, Adrian in particular, you have to run. So let's, let's give it a wrap. And we'll be back soon with another show. Until then, cheers and bye-bye. <laughs>